in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. B team tonight. That means the Lord thinks we're so far ahead in the score, he can pull, he can pull, pull somebody off the bench. That's how far ahead we are. Because the Greek historian Herodotus, beloved of the Lord, is our most available and commonly known source of information about the ancient Persians. We commonly use his terms and his names to refer to them. In fact, it's quite common simply to adopt his perspective. For example, I just now called them the Persians because that's what Herodotus calls them. In fact, the Persians normally refer to themselves as the Achaemenes. Similarly, we refer to one of their greatest emperors as Xerxes, for no better reason than that was the name by which Herodotus called him. Persians, however, called him Sakshyarsa. My Persian is not all that good, but that's his name. The Persians never called him Xerxes. In the Bible, in the Hebrew, of Ezra and Esther, and in the Aramaic of Daniel, we have a name quite a bit closer to the Persian, Ahasuerus. Same sound, sort of, but a lot closer than Xerxes. But the same man. Now, Herodotus tells us that Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, if you want, was a Persian much influenced by his dreams. Indeed, Herodotus tells us it was a series of dreams that prompted this emperor to invade the Greek homeland in the year 480. This is how Herodotus describes the first of these dreams. Don't worry, this is not our scripture reading for tonight. This is just a reading from Herodotus. Here's what Herodotus tells us about Xerxes. He fell asleep. Then so the Persians say, Hos legatai hypo perseon, 
in the night, he saw this vision. It seemed to Xerxes that a tall and handsome man stood over him and said, Are you then changing your mind, Persian? It will not you lead an expedition against Hellas? Hellas is what we call Greece, which Herodotus never calls them Greeks, calls them Hellenes. Although you have proclaimed the marching of the army, Finally, on the basis of this and subsequent dreams, the emperor decided to invade Greece. This was the invasion that cost him the Persian navy at the Battle of Salamis in 480, and the Persian army at the Battle of Plataea in 479. I'm going to give you my own thoughts about this. It seems to me significant that Xerxes could ever have had dreams. He was a king ruling over all the territory from the Indus River to the mouth of the Danube. He governed an area which today includes nations as diverse as Pakistan, Egypt, Turkey, and Romania. How in the world could a man with that responsibility ever get a night's sleep? And yet I can find in the literature antiquity only one instance in which he suffered from insomnia. And this occasion he tossed and turned all night, burdened by the many concerns of an immense empire. We know of this occasion because it is recorded in the book of Esther. We come now to the word of God, a reading from the book of Esther, let us attend. On that night, sleep fled from the king, and he commanded to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. In other words, he's thinking about everything anyway, so read me what's been going on. Give me a briefing. And it was found written that Mordecai had told Abigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hands on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's ministers, 
that ministered unto him. Nothing has been done for him. But the king answered, Who is in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak to the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said unto him, Behold, Hamath, Haman rather, standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in. And the king said to him, What shall be done to him whom the king hath a mind to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king have a mind to honor more than to myself? And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king hath a mind to honor, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king was accustomed to wear, and the horse that the king rode upon, and the royal crown which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes that they may array the man whom the king hath a mind to honor and bring him on horseback through the streets of the city and proclaim before him, thus shall he be honored whom the king hath a mind to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast said. And Haman took the apparel and the horse and upbraid Mordecai and brought him on horseback to the street of the city and proclaimed before him thus shall he be honored whom the king hath a mind to honor this is the word of the Lord If we compare this story of the Persian emperor with that given us by Herodotus, we're struck by a lot of things. 
not the least of which is an entertaining irony. According to Herodotus, when Xerxes falls asleep in dreams, he takes what he, what he, he receives what he takes to be a heavenly, heavenly revelation. But when he follows the direction given him into the dream, a catastrophe befalls his realm. But here in the biblical story, the king receives no revelation at all. And yet, he becomes the instrument of divine providence, the Lord's care for his people. The one man is looking for direction from on high, same man. But the direction he gets could not have come from on high unless God is really on the side of the Greeks. And I guess that could be argued. See, in the book of Esther, there are no visions, nor revelations. Indeed, in the Hebrew text, there are no prayers. In the Hebrew text, God is never mentioned. Neither the author nor any of the characters ever speak about God. And yet God is present everywhere. We call it providence. Events in Esther appear to be accidental. But we, believing readers, know better. See, we believe not only in intelligent, intelligent design in creation, we also believe in intelligent design in history. The same God. He works differently in nature from his working in history. Was the same God. We recognize it was no accident when Esther won that beauty contrast. Nor was it by chance that Ahasuerus, unable to sleep that fateful night, began to search the archives, thereby discovered the name of Mordecai. Nor later on in the text is it fortuitous that Haman falls on Esther's bed just as the king walks into her chamber. It left a very bad impression. It wasn't happenstance that this unwitting scoundrel 
had already prepared a gallows for his own neck. This story, beloved of the Lord, is of a piece with a strong motif in the book of Esther. God's activity in this story is too subtle, too secret, too mysterious for observation or comment. Now, the earliest interpretation of the book of Esther would be the Greek translation, made at Alexandria, search century before Christ. And that's the one that's printed in the Orthodox Study Bible. God's mentioned everywhere, people praying and so forth. But see, that's commentary. That is commentary. In the original text, no, it's different. The believer recognizes, nonetheless, at least implicitly, that God is at work within the decisions of history. This is the truth known because believed of divine providence. In this book, as in the scriptures as a whole, even evil works for good. Haman is the agent of an evil force. He employs the rigidity of the Persian legal system. Remember, the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. <laughs> he uses that to fix the Jews. He's the first one to devise an Elysium der Judenfrage, a solution for the Jewish problem. In Esther, as in Daniel, one had to deal with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. Thus, after Haman had arranged a decree ordering the destruction of the Jews, even the emperor wasn't able to alter it. He could not issue a countermanding decree once the first had been decreed. So this powerful king creates a system that he can't control. But somebody else can. The king ties his own hands. This has to be one of the funniest books in the Bible. This one in Daniel, which, by the way, I think are covering exactly the same periods. The king imagines that he is all powerful. In this, book, in this book, he appears even more foolish than he does in Herodotus. 
Now, this is the message of tonight's story about the insomnia of King Ahasuerus. Is the message that God is in charge of everything, that he is the Lord of history. Amen.